God, we know you are here. You are present in this room. Holy Spirit, you bring your power for us, your comfort, your guidance. God, this is not my time. This is not the band's time. This is your time. Have your way with us today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. It is really good to be back. I I hate to have to even say that. Uh, I was a member here, and my wife and I chose to move closer to William Jessup University about a year and a half ago. We're 5.7 miles by bicycle now. We both work there, and we're in a 1,000-square-foot little place. It's wonderful, but I'm telling you, I don't even know how to say this right. You have something special here. We've been looking for church for a year and a half. And I'm so thankful to be here and be back and see and remember what Twin Cities does and is for everyone. So it's just a pleasure to be back. Okay. I'm already teary. This is not going to go well. When I was a young 20-year-old, I had this opportunity to work in Jackson Hole in the Grand Teton National Park with a float trip called Solitude Float Trips. Sounds pretty serene, doesn't it? We didn't do the white water, we did the calm stuff. And I was primarily a driver. I tried a little boating at the end of my second year. Here's a picture. And and what our job was is uh, people would call in. They would sign up for a float trip. We would meet them at Moose, Wyoming, at the visitor center there for the park. And we would load up this van. And then I would drive them up five or 10 miles upriver. And we would get the people in the boat. And I would shove them off. And then I'd have like four hours of time to myself. It was awesome. I would sit by the Snake River. One time I swam with a moose. We were like in the same little swimming hole. I would play my guitar and sing Jesus songs and read my Bible. It was just awesome. So one day I had pushed off the boat and I'm driving back up the road. Now the main highway is up here, but the road to get there looks something like this, rocks and gravel. And all of a sudden I could not go any further because there was a a commotion up ahead of me. And a couple drivers were trying to pass each other on the way up and the way down. And and it's a pretty narrow road. So one of them had gone off the side of the road now. And his tires are spinning in the gravel and in the rocks and the dirt. So I stop and I get out. And we've got, you know, six or eight very qualified young men who decide, I know, let's just push it. So we get behind the guy's truck. And he's got his trailer on there too. And we're pushing. And rocks are just spitting at us like crazy. It was going nowhere. Then I had good news. I had good news for everyone of a way out of this precarious situation. I had seen right off the side of the road, there was a little um, uh, two by by six, is that two by eight? What is it, a two by four, six? A bigger board, right? Not a two by four, a little bit bigger. And, And I saw that, it was about this long, and I had this great idea. So I shared my good news with everyone. I said, here's what we should do. We should put this board in front, of the, in front of the back wheel, and then when you get some traction, the tire will catch on that, and we'll get them out. You see where it's going, don't you? So we, <laughs> so we, <laughs> we put this board down, and then we all get back behind the car to push. And the guy hits the gas, the tire starts spinning, it catches on that two by six, shoots it straight out, and hits a guy in the leg and just snaps it. 
you could hear the leg, you could hear the bone break. And then everybody's like looking at him, and then they're looking at me. <laughs> so now we had a different problem. It wasn't how to get a truck out of the dirt, it was how to get this guy to the hospital. So I thought I had really good news. I shared this great news that I had of a way out of the situation, and it did not go so well. My bad. Have you ever been in that situation where you, you thought you had good news? You thought you were sharing something that would be really helpful to someone, would really help them along the way, but in the midst of that, then it didn't go the way you planned or it didn't work out so well. That's kind of what's going on in our scripture today in Thessalonians. The apostle Paul has been sharing this amazing news with people, that God loves them and Jesus saves them. That was Ron's message from the first week in the series. That is the good news that he was sharing. But in the midst of that good news with the people of Thessalonica, they received it and then they were persecuted and perhaps some of them may have even been killed as a result. So in the midst of this, I have good news, but, but the results is not so good like mine was in Wyoming. The Apostle Paul is still trying to share with them this idea that, it, that they, can, they can persevere, they can keep going forward in the midst of their suffering. He still is going to continue to bring them good news and help them to move forward in their faith. So we're going to take a look today at 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 20. And talk about how we can have this persevering hope. Now I'm going to read from our New Living Translation. These are the Bibles that are out in the lobby. If you want to ever use one while you're in here, grab it, bring it in. If you don't have a Bible, take one. It is a gift to you from the church. And also, if you don't have that, you haven't got your Bible app open, whatever, the verses will be on the screen as well. Let me read. It says, Therefore... We never stopped thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very words of God, which of course it is. And the word continues to work in you who believe. And then, and then, dear brothers and sisters, you suffered persecution from your own countrymen. In this way, you imitated the believers in, the church, in God's churches in Judea, who, because of their belief in Christ Jesus, suffered from their own people, the Jews. For some of the Jews killed the prophets, and some even killed the Lord Jesus. Now they have persecuted us too. They fail to please God and work against all humanity as they try to keep us from preaching the good news of salvation to the Gentiles. By doing this, they continue to pile up their sins, but the anger of God has caught up with them at last. He goes on. Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. After all, what gives us hope and joy? And what will be our proud return, a reward and crown as we stand before the Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you. Yes, you are pride and joy. So the first way we can persevere through these difficult times is when we remember God's promises. And this is where you take out your message notes. Uh, you're going to have to cram some of the words in on this one today, but that would be the first fill-in. The first way we can persevere through difficult times is when we remember God's promises. 
This uh, passage today starts with the word therefore, so you always have to find out what it's therefore, right? Some of you learned that as I did. And verse 12 actually shows us that the people of Thessalonica were working hard to quote, this is from verse 12, live their lives in a way that God would consider worthy, even though it had been difficult. And so now Paul says, therefore, therefore, because you're working so hard, Paul's going to, he says, I'm thanking God for who you are and the efforts you're making in your faith. That's what it's there for. Paul says early on in our passage that the people of Thessalonica received a message from him. It actually says from us, because we know that Paul, Silas, and Timothy all had something to do with this letter to the church in Thessalonica. So obviously, if the people received a message, there was a message that was shared. So what exactly is this message that was shared? We know from our scripture that they received it well, not just as a word from humans, but as the very words of God. And I love that Paul says, which of course it is, he reminds them. And also that if they receive this in verse 13, when they receive this message, it will empower them. It will give them hope to continue to work through their hard times. So what is this message he's talking about? It is the good news. The good news. Now, what exactly is good news? Good news can come in all kinds of ways. Good news. You owe the IRS less money than you thought. Good news. You don't have any cavities. Good news. Your student has been chosen as student of the month. Good news. You are cancer free. Those are all ways that good news can come to us. But this good news is even better. Check out the references to good news. This is in 1 Thessalonians chapters 1, 2, and 3, and it's in the New Living Translation, and I've had them put them up here. So look at these. In 1, 5, we brought you the good news. 2, 2, courage to declare is good news. 2, 4, entrusted with the good news. 2, 9, we preach the good news. 2, 16, preaching the good news. And, and 2, that's not 16. I think that's a different verse there. Proclaiming the good news of Christ. What do you notice about each one of those specific good news is there? It's capitalized. You see that? They are capitalized. Every one, capital G, good, capital N, news, good news. Now, what I learned when it's capitalized in my English classes, I learned that that means it's a proper noun. So we know that a common noun is a person, place, or a thing, but a proper noun, a proper noun names a specific one-of-a-kind item. So this good news, it's special. It is one-of-a-kind news. It's not generic good news. It is specific good news. And both pastors, Ron and John, and even again today with Ron, have shared that this good news is about Jesus coming to earth. It's about his death, his resurrection, and then our new life is a result of that. It's about salvation. I'm going to give you a couple more verses um, that talk a little bit about this good news and what it is. So Mark 1.1 says the whole gospel, the whole book of Mark starts with this. It is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. This book of Mark, it's about salvation. It's about Jesus. And then later on in verses 14 and 15 of that same chapter, it says... After John was put in prison, <clears throat> Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. 
The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So the good news is all about Jesus, but our part is repentance for the bad things that we have done, and then acceptance and believing what is being shared about salvation in Jesus. And then one more verse, Romans 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. So here, instead of good news, we have the word gospel. The gospel. The gospel is the good news of the power of God for salvation. Now, if you look gospel up in the dictionary, it's going to give you a couple things. I love these, especially the combination. One of them it will say for the word gospel is the teaching of revelation or revelation of Christ. That's what the gospel in the dictionary is. It's the revelation of Christ. But another one, and perhaps you've used this at times, it is also defined as a thing that is absolutely true. So you may talk to someone or saying, really? And you're like, it's the gospel. And what you're saying is it's absolutely true. If you pair those together, the dictionary says that the, the revelation of Jesus Christ is absolutely true. It's the gospel. Now, gospel is used in place of good news in the New International Version that some, some people use, but it's actually the exact same word for good news. And it can either be a noun, you can have the body of good news as a noun, right? But it also can be as a verb. And we saw those verses up there, to share, to preach, to proclaim the gospel, to, to share the good news with others. One example in the book of Acts, Philip is walking along a road, and then uh, God has him, he leads him to a guy who's sitting in a chariot. Some of you know this story. And he looks up at the guy, he's like, hey, what are you doing up there? And the guy's like, I'm reading from the prophet Isaiah. So Philip jumps up in there with them, and they start to look over the prophet Isaiah. But then it says in Acts 35, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. I love this. Philip takes this conversation about the prophet Isaiah, and then he changes it to the saving grace of Jesus. And when we, when we try and share the gospel, we are in fact sharing good news. God's promise that Jesus came to earth, he died to set us free from our sins. The word that's used for both good news and gospel in the Greek is the word euangelion. And it's where we get our word evangelist. Uh-oh, it's going to get a little dicey for a moment here. It's where we get our word evangelist. And it's actually used 77 times in the New Testament, 66 of those times by the Apostle Paul. He was big on this. And it was used, at first, um, the word was just regular good news. I remember this old Geico commercial, and it's in a prison. And uh, a prisoner walks back into his cell. He'd been somewhere else. He walks back in, and his lawyer's on the phone, and his lawyer's like, that's great news. And then he hangs up the phone, and he looks at the prisoner, and the prisoner's like, yes. And he says, I, I, I can't get you out, but I got a great deal on my car insurance. So that's what the good news originally was. It was just, again, generic good news. But then Christians grabbed onto that word and gave it such a richer, deeper meaning. They made it out to be the specific good news. So we are all evangelists. 
as we go out into our daily lives and we share the good news that Jesus saves. When we remember God's promises, it is good news and it can empower us and those around us and give us hope to persevere through the hard times. Do you know the good news? Do you know it? Have you committed this to memory? Do you know some of it? By a show of hands, how many saw the movie yesterday? Not a movie yesterday, the movie yesterday? Anyone? Few? All right, good. No spoiler alert because it's been out a while. It's about this young man who knows who the Beatles, the the band, the music group, you've heard of them, I think. Uh, There's this young man, he knows about the Beatles, but no one else does. And so he becomes famous by singing Beatles songs, and it's just a fascinating, really uplifting story, but he came up with so many of the lyrics of these songs, and I'm thinking, I would never have become famous like he did, even if I was the only one who knew the Beatles, because I have not memorized the words to Octopus's Garden, Eleanor Rigby, It's a Hard Day's Night, or any of the other 213 songs the Beatles wrote. I don't know the words. Well, how much of the gospel do I know? If I had no written copy, would I be able to recall? Would I be able to remember what the good news is? What about if I was just in a conversation with someone, didn't have time to pull up my my Bible app, and they wanted to know something about salvation or faith? Would I have it? Would it be in my head? Would it be in my heart? Would I be able to share that with someone? How about you? We can persevere through tough times, when we remember God's promises, if we know them. The second way we can persevere through difficult times is when we realize hard times will come. Okay, listen up. Fill that in, but as you're writing, recognize there's no getting around this point. I often tell people I only know two things about life. Life is hard and God is good. Like, that's all I got. You want to know my wisdom? Life is hard. God is good. That's what I've got. So we should never be surprised when difficulties of all kinds come into our lives. 1 Peter 4, 12 um, and 13 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. In verses 14 through 16 of our scripture today, Paul shares this good news of salvation with the people. They receive it, they begin to live it out, and then Paul says it even that way. He says, and then. I've given you the good news, and then persecution came. And then suffering happened. Hard times came to them. And the scripture makes it very clear why they were suffering. It was simply because of their belief in Christ Jesus. That's why they were suffering, because they were clinging to their faith. So what did that look like for them? It says they were suffering at the hands of their own countrymen. Their own community was persecuting them. They say that the prophets and Jesus had been killed, so some of them, again, may have even been persecuted in the same way up to death. At times, because of their belief, we know that they were, uh, their businesses were, were, were ignored. 
They were run out of town. They may have been beaten up because of their desire to share this new good news that they had about Jesus. And in our scripture, it also tells us, oof, it tells us that these persecutors were failing to please God. They were working against all humanity. Listen to that again. They were working against all humanity. Wow. And the way they were working against all humanity was by trying to keep people from preaching the good news. And then it says they also, because they were doing this, they were continuing to pile up their sins. Their sins are piling up. We also know from this that their time will come. Their time will come. This version says the anger of God has caught up with them at last. Other versions use similar phrases. Other versions saying the wrath of God has come upon them. So we know they will get theirs in the end. But for now, for now, God has allowed people to persecute believers. And Paul reassures the people in Thessalonica, they're not alone. And he refers to the people of Judea and says, they're going through the same thing. So it's not unique all across this, this part of our globe. They're all suffering. They're suffering persecution. What does that look like for me and you? That's one thing for them. What does it look like for you and for me? Now, I believe a time is coming when calling yourself a believer in Jesus is going to bring you some persecution. It's happening all over the world to missionaries and pastors in other countries that claim to, to follow Christ and some who can't even openly claim that or, but are still trying to share their faith. Someday we will have to take a stand in our faith and we will suffer what comes as a result. For you, you know there are already those around you who do not agree with your beliefs, your stand on issues, your church attendance, and even your moral convictions. If you have moral convictions, we're told that maybe we're wrong about that. And if you take a stand for Christ on certain issues, the persecution will follow. I'm on Facebook, and, and it's getting harder and harder uh, just to filter the content of the people that I see that is in, you know, every day just shows up as I glance through some of those things. And there is so much vitriol these days against belief, against faith. And I can't even believe it. It's like you're not even allowed to share moral convictions or people on Facebook will come after you for that. It's getting so bad I can barely take that anymore. But for the sake of our, our title series, which is Hope Rising, I want to shift the thought from persecution to persevering. From persecution to persevering through those difficult times in our lives, just as the people of Thessalonica were doing as well. So what are those difficult times that we, you and I, may go through that challenge our faith or weaken our message, weaken our hope? So since I wrote this, I started my own list. So I'll share my list, and then maybe you can think of some that you might put on yours. For me, I wrote down worrying about my kids and my grandkids, instead of just placing them in God's hands. Struggles with worldly temptations like lust or greed, wanting what others have, instead of thanking God for the very blessings of the life that he's given me. Just wondering about the future in general, my health, the health of those around me, and trying to figure out how my finances are going to carry me through the next 30 years 
instead of trusting God for the future. All of these diminish God's great news of salvation for me. They put the focus on the here now instead of the glorious not yet that is to come. What is it for you? What is on your list that actually cause you to maybe diminish your faith, to take away your hope? What are those things that cause you to take your eyes off eternity and bring them right back to this world and that may water down your faith, water down your witness, and diminish your ability to share the good news? What are those? At times, I'm sure the believers in Thessalonica felt pretty hopeless And perhaps you have two in this world, but is it hopeless? Let's continue on. A third way to persevere through difficult times is when we receive support from one another. We receive support from one another. 2, 17 to 18. Sometimes we need to be on the receiving end of needing that support, but other times we need to be the ones offering that support. And it goes, it really does go both ways. So in these verses, 17, 18, The boys, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, it says they were trying so hard to visit. He says, we tried over and over again to come to you. Paul makes it very, very clear. He repeatedly was trying to come visit them. And he attributes his inability to visit as a direct prevention from Satan, that Satan was doing something that would stop him from doing that. So I started thinking, well, well, I wonder what, what Satan used. Like, what was it Satan was using to prevent them from visiting? Maybe sickness. We know Paul had this thorn in the flesh. Perhaps things would flare up. Something would happen. He wouldn't be able to make the trip. Maybe bad weather. Right? Satan has a fair amount of power, perhaps that. Maybe political dangers or, or things out on the road that would happen. Donkey break a leg. I don't know. I suppose Satan could do that. If I can snap a guy's leg with a two-by-six, Satan could probably pull that off. The actual Greek word for prevented means to break up a road to make it impassable. So I just think Satan was attacking across all angles. Everywhere he could, he would prevent them from visiting. And I'll agree, it does take effort to go out of our way to support others. But we all need this so desperately at times. Our daughter, our our baby, who lives in Philadelphia... She's not going to watch this, so I can say that with disdain. Not for the city of, for the distance between. Had a baby on June 6th. This is our fourth grandchild. Two granddaughters that live close. We love them. (laughs) And two grandsons that I adore that live way across the country. So my wife and I went to the airport. We hopped on a plane at SAC. We went on another plane. We spent all day traveling. When we arrived, we went shopping. We cleaned house. We changed diapers. Yes, I changed diapers. They left me alone for one hour, and the older one blew it out, so I got to change that. Um, I made a few trips to Home Depot, fixed some things around their little house, did some yard work, and I spent lots and lots and lots of time with Uriah, the two-year-old. We'd go for a walk every day. Philly, you know it's beautiful and green there. You know why? It pours rain all summer. It's like 1,000 degrees. You don't need rain because you're sweating anyway. And, it's, and we're out pouring rain, and then we just walk around. It was amazing. This is the kind of support sometimes that people need. They just need you to be there. 
Be present. Be with them. It may mean that you have to go beyond just being there to actually doing something, to taking care of people. And it takes a lot of time and effort. And for those who are especially feeling hopeless, it can make all the difference in their life. Paul uses an interesting word in this passage. It's the word for separated. In verse 17, it says, after we were separated from you. And in the Greek, it's the word, it's that word. (laughs) Say it how you want it. They used to teach you to say it fast and everybody will think you're smart. I couldn't even fake that one. Do you see the secret word? Raise your hand if you see the secret word in the middle there. Raise your hand. Anybody see the secret word? Orphan. Isn't that a great word? I love when we can do Bible studies and find out the Greek word, is the word has the word orphan in it. And that's what Paul was saying. He's saying, when we were separated, it's like I left you as orphans. I could not come see you. Your, your, your spiritual parent could not be there. And you were on your own to try and figure this out with, without this parental figure being there. God, it's such a beautiful word. And I know exactly what Paul is feeling since I've spent a good part of my life working and serving in orphanages in Mexico for decades upon decades, in Honduras, I go every other year to Brazil, and there may not be so many orphans, but there's a whole lot of kids without daddies in the home. And I know that feeling. There's no better feeling than when you are with and helping and coming alongside kids and adults, right? who need something, and you can be there to support them physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Who do you need to help today? Who around you seems hopeless or could use some spiritual parenting? Take some time to think about that, to find that person, and then to reach out and make that effort to support them in any way you can. On the flip flip side, are you the one who needs to receive support? Don't stay quiet about that. Who is it in your circle that you could reach out to and say, I need help, please, anything, come. Make sure that you take the time to do that because we can persevere when we give and receive support from others. The final way to persevere through difficult times is when we reflect on God's rewards. In the midst of trouble, when everything seems hopeless, it's a struggle to get out of bed each day. We need to know there is something beyond this world. We must be confident that our here now is not anything compared to the not yet that is to come. Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul has already hinted at some of God's rewards earlier. And Ron, that, I don't know if you remember this, the first week, he read the last line of each chapter, and it referred to rescued from judgment, Jesus coming again, that we're going to be with the Lord forever. That was fascinating. I really, really liked that little piece. But here, in our last section, one of the rewards is actually people. Isn't that interesting? One of our rewards, God has given each one of us or given us each other as a here now reward. We are in this together. And sometimes when life gets difficult for me, the best thing I can do is take my eyes off my daily grind and my whining and think about the lives of others. For me, I need to sit back and recall people that I know or I had in youth ministry years ago when I did that, or as a student at the college, 
August 1st, I'm starting my 20th year at the university, and I just need to reflect on these people in my ministry and the university that have come through who are now serving Jesus locally and around the world in different capacities. A few pictures. Top left, Adam and Heather just arrived home last week after five grueling years as missionaries in Africa. But they want to be missionaries, and it was rough there. So they're home for a while. Then they're headed to southern Spain, where they're going to be working with African refugees who are coming up out of Africa. It's a dream-come-true spot and job for them. Upper right, Matt. Matt works with an organization called CIY, Christ in Youth. He builds and designs sets. And then they take these sets for CIY, and they do conferences around the United States. It's fascinating. A young man down here is Hunter. Hunter uh, is a youth pastor just down the road in Citrus Heights. And some of you may recognize J.J. Heller, who sings for Jesus. All of these people are former students that I've had the joy and the privilege of working with over the years. How could my heart be sad? How could my joy be downcast when I think of them and others? This becomes one of God's rewards for us. When we expend ourselves on the behalf of others, God rewards us with a peace about our own lives and gives us that hope to keep going on. So think about this. When we're near the end of our life, what will be our warmest, most comforting thoughts? Oh, boy. I loved working 40 hours a week. Man, that... That house remodel was so touching. I'll never forget. I'll never forget that steak and egg breakfast I had at IHOP. Of course not. Our minds will be filled with the thoughts of people. Perhaps some regrets, but hopefully more about those we loved and those we poured ourselves into during our years. That's what Paul says in our last part in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 to 20. He says, after all, what gives us hope and joy? What will be our proud return and crown as we stand before the Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you. Yes, you are our pride and our joy. Paul refers to these people as crowns he's going to receive when he stands before the Lord. Now, there's five crowns in Scripture. I'm not going to give you those. But there's something a believer can receive for things you have actually done on the earth. But I'm going to give you quickly two examples that tie into our message. The first crown is about suffering in general. It's called the crown of life, and it's given for faithfulness to Christ and persecution or martyrdom. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. It's saying hang in there during difficult times. Keep believing in hope, and you'll receive a crown. The second crown is about our investment in people. It's the crown that Paul is referring to in our passage today. It's called the crown of rejoicing, and it's given for pouring ourselves into others, especially in terms of evangelism and discipleship. And we can persevere through difficult times by reflecting on God's rewards, which includes, among so many other glorious things, the people that we pour ourselves into during our life. How fantastic is that? One quick reminder before we head to the finish here of the glorious things that are to come. This is 2 Corinthians uh, 4, 16 to 18. It says this. 
This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and, we, and will last forever. So we don't look on the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things we cannot see. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Don't get so caught up in the here now without remembering the glorious hope of the not yet. If everything was taken away, if everything was taken away from you, what would be left? Examples, family, your job, money, position, love, friends, your home. We sang that amazing song. We listened to that amazing song earlier that says this, should my life be torn from me, every worldly pleasure when all I possess is grief, God be there my treasure. What would be left when everything else is torn away? I want to suggest that only hope would remain. My final challenge is from John 6, uh, but before they put up the verse, I want, I want to give you a little background. John 6, 60 to 68, Jesus has been teaching a group of followers. He calls them disciples. It's a bigger group. About, what, uh, about him being the bread from heaven, and then about communion being his body and blood, and the listeners were confused. Okay, so let's face it. Some of this stuff, even when we read it now, it's like, huh? And so that's what happened. There was a conversation going on, and some were confused. And then it says this in 60, uh, chapter 6, verse 60. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think when you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Whoa. Stop there. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Life got a little challenging. There was, and the song said it also, unanswered questions. There were some questions they had that had not been answered, and life was a little rough. And when I read this, and, and I, I try and look at the con, it looks like literally there was a discussion going on, and many, it says many, many got up, they walked out of this meeting, this discussion, and they turned their backs on their faith because life got a little rough. Then Jesus turned to the 12, the 12, those who stayed behind, the ones he was closest to. He turns to the 12 and he asks, are you also going to leave? You also going to bail? Life too rough for you, boys? Are you taken off as well? And Simon Peter replies, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words 
that give eternal life. He says to them, where else would we go? Where else would we go? What is left when everything is taken away? Hope. Hope in Jesus. Hope for an eternity with him. Hope that we can overcome the difficulties in life when we cling to him. There is no other option. There's nowhere else to turn but to Jesus. That's my challenge. You can persevere through the struggles of life by remembering God's promises, his good news of salvation, by realizing that hard times will come, but then receiving support from others and giving it when you can and reflecting on God's rewards. Because let's be honest, when life is difficult and we need hope, where else can we go? God, I pray for the people here today. Thank you, Lord, that you, that I get asked to speak, and and Ron, through prayer, comes up with a series, and and he hands me passages, and every time it's like you have given them to me, God, to look at my own life, and now the challenge is presented to others to look at their lives, the challenges that they're going through. God, bring the blessing of support through others, through just simply recognizing life is difficult, but you are good, and that there is a good news message of salvation for those who believe, who accept you into their lives. That's our hope, God, because where else can we go? Amen.